Welcome to High Alakmat's Forest. Just for our audience, Forest is uh, working with an old friend of mine, Puyan, and that's how we got to know each other. research um, and um, stuff you're doing with Puyan. Uh, are you doing it with Puyan or is it just an independent kind of a research? Um, yeah, so we're, we're collaborating on um, some problems and then, you know, some problems, you know, we collaborate with a lot of different people. So, you know, some problems we're collaborating with each other, some problems we're collaborating with mm. other people at the university. Yeah, excellent. So what is that then? So one of the main things I'm looking at right now is the Rubik's Cube. So mm -hmm. we can, we've created AI, AI algorithms in the past that can learn to solve um, these puzzles, but, you know, they can't explain anything. You just see the steps it's taking. It doesn't do anything in terms of explanation. So how can it come up with an algorithm that humans can understand? How can it be tailored to a person's preferences? How can it mm -hmm. build off a person's ideas? Mm -hmm. And then how can we then take that to say the frontiers of research and you know get new ideas there and so this also takes the this also takes a lot of different forms so um we're working with people in say medical imaging and we are looking at calcification of arteries and um hoping ai can help with the calcification part actually um quantifying it especially in the um the extremities like uh, your legs and especially lower legs, things like that. Um, mm. But then when it comes to prognosis, can you incorporate biomarkers to actually help doctors with a prognosis? But that prognosis has to be explainable to the practitioner. And you can't just say like 50% chance this is going to happen. No, you have to right. actually have something that's explainable. And right. can you come up with rules in terms of um, what, you know, what really overall leads to a good prognosis, bad prognosis, could that be translated into how people actually get treated? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, another project we're looking at is when it comes to actually identifying um, which molecules would be useful to treat, say, a certain disease or to affect a certain, a certain mm -hmm. gene, mm -hmm. can you use AI to give starting points or ideas of what molecules may be um, useful. So, um, you know, th these are like problems. You could even come up with um, new treatment for something. It, I don't think it'd come up with it like right off the bat, but it maybe give a good starting point. So in like 10 years, if, uh, you know, a pharmacologist, you know, uses AI and goes, huh, you know, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about it that way before. I think that would be like a humongous success. So, mm. and and then there are a lot of other projects that just involve implying uh, deep learning, reinforcement learning, algorithms just about um, deep learning itself, how to make it more efficient, or you know, different search algorithms that combine deep learning, things like that, how mm -hmm. to have certain theoretical guarantees and um, these kinds of things um, are also things that I look at. Excellent. What you have 
um, done for dealing with these problems. Uh, we can focus on a particular one that you're quite interested in and share some results um, with us if it's possible, uh, or you would like to talk about that. Sure. Um, so, you know, the first one with the Rubik's Cube, uh, this one actually started out of just how can you use AI to solve the Rubik's Cube? You just give a description. This is what the cube looks like. This is how it moves. And then from there, figure out a solution. And so not just for the Rubik's Cube, but, you know, other puzzles as well. You know, the mm -hmm. algorithm goes, here's the description. Um, here's how it moves. Here's what we want you to get it to look like. And then I'm not going to tell you anything else. And so, <laughs> you know, can, yeah. can you solve it? Right. And so there's an algorithm out there called A-star search. And mm -hmm. this goes back to 1976 or 78. Mm -hmm. And so this was initially developed for um, robotics, but works for really any pathfinding problem, se sequential decision-making problem right. um, where you need to find you know, deterministic ones, you need to find a sequence of actions from some starting state to some goal state um, mm. for these, you know, pathfinding problems. But the key is you need a heuristic to guide it. So, you know, this direction seems more promising, that direction seems less promising to kind of prioritize where you're going to look. So the heuristic part is what often people will use domain-specific things they know about the puzzle to come up with a heuristic and then put it in A-star search, and then it's able to solve the problem. Mm. Um, what we did is we used um, deep neural networks and dynamic programming, which is used a lot, really the basis of um, a lot of reinforcement learning algorithms. So this deep reinforcement learning to learn a heuristic function, just based on the description of these puzzles, you learn a heuristic function, you mm -hmm. put it into A star search, and it's able to solve these problems. And then a lot of times it's able to solve them in the most efficient way possible, meaning using the fewest number of moves possible. And so this thing I was really excited about because it showed that, um, you know, this is very much related to resource consumption. So if you want to synthesize a molecule, you want to do it in the way that is going to not waste, you know, resources, things like this. So, you know, I was really excited about that. But the mm -hmm. thing is, explaining such an algorithm to a human, um, you know, the most efficient algorithm possible to solve the Rubik's Cube probably wouldn't be, you know, wouldn't be feasible. So right. how do you actually explain this to a human? And you know, this is work that is ongoing, mm -hmm. but some some really early results we got, and let, let me actually go over the algorithm, yeah. um, just high level. So yeah. we add in the ability to describe the Rubik's Cube or um, certain instances of the Rubik's Cube using logic. And we want to find a logic program that can solve the Rubik's Cube. Mm -hmm. And the reason we're looking for a logic program is because you can define logical predicates that are really easy for people to understand. For example, there's some cubelet and this sticker is on the yellow face or something. Right. We can understand that. And so you can say, here are the building blocks for your logical programs. These are all things humans can understand. Compose them into a program that solves the Rubik's Cube. Mm -hmm. And so again, this is an algorithm that, that's guided by a neural network, except you're looking not just to solve one instance of the cube, but all instances of the cube using um, this approach. So this program, any instance you give it, it should be able to solve the Rubik's cube. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're starting like really basic. We even just started with just get one little cubelet, you know, right. that has two colors, two stickers on it. Just get that 
in its correct position, just just one, um, and explain what that algorithm is, right. which seems pretty pretty uh, simple. Um, right. But the algorithm behind actually doing that, you know, a lot actually went into it, and the solution it gave was actually more simple than what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. You know, because I was thinking like, you get one of the colors in place you know, get one of the colors in place and then move the other, um, the, you, you move the, um, the face that is in place, you know, you turn it so that the other one's in place, which right. is pretty simple, but that part about get one of them in place was kind of ambiguous. And right. I was like, I, I don't know, just get one of them in place. But mm. the solution it came up with was if, if one of the stickers is a certain direction away from the sticker, it matches, you know, you move it in that direction, no matter if it's one in place or the other one, none mm-hmm. are in place. You just move it in that direction. Otherwise, you know, one of the stickers is on some face, doesn't matter what face. But if it's if um that isn't the case, you know, one of the stickers is on some face, just move that face clockwise or counterclockwise. Right. Mm-hmm. And and then that's it. And you you would have solved it. And so um there are actually only two things you really need to take into account. Oh, interesting. And so, that was a lot simpler than what I was thinking about. And this is yeah. just like for this really simple case. Right. So I was really excited about that. Oh, that's excellent. Yeah, because it seems quite crazy. Uh, but, I, but I didn't think that is the solution is that simple. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, good. it's you know, it, it's something like anyone could do. Yeah. And even just explaining it was kind of, you know, that part about just get one of them in place, just yeah. one of them to match. I mean, um, yeah. was just kind of like I just would wave my hands. But this one says it in a really simple way that I, I don't think I would have thought of. Mm, really nice. I like that. Oh, cool. Is it uh, anything else you would like to talk about? Ruby Krug, um, Cube, or just um, other research uh, uh, work you're doing? Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah, so some other things we're looking at is just the algorithms behind uh, getting the Rubik's Cube, um, actually, you know, solving the Rubik's Cube. These, you know, this is just one instance and a much broader instance of pathfinding problems. It could be mm. excuse me. That's okay. chemical synthesis. It could be theorem proving. It could be program synthesis. You know, there are a bunch of other problems. So one, we're actually looking at how to apply them to these problems. So we're looking mm. at chemical reactions right now. Right. And how to actually use this for chemical reactions. And um, then also just the algorithm itself. So, you know, how do you deal with certain... Um, scenario. So there may be a scenario where you have a lot of possible actions you could take. You know, the Rubik's Cube is only 12 actions. Some of the problems we looked at was like 49 actions. There are some problems that you have thousands of actions you can take. And this is just computationally difficult. And Mm. how do we deal with that? So, you know, there's research on that. And then there's research on um, you want to try to have some theoretical guarantees. So with a star search, if the heuristic function is what people call admissible, which just means it never overestimates mm. the cost to actually solve the problem from any given configuration, then you're guaranteed to find a cheapest solution, the solution right. with the lowest cost. You're guaranteed. Right. So with neural networks, you know, these are these big complicated nonlinear functions, really hard to get these ther- theoretical guarantees out of neural networks. So yes. how can you Try to guarantee that in practice, not guarantee, but say in practice, most of the time, 
um, you still can find the shortest path. Mm -hmm. how, how do you how do you do that with neural networks? And so that's another thing I look at. Um, and you know, there there are also other applications of neural networks that we're doing. Um, so yeah, that, that's a little overview of it. Mm -hmm. And then also with neural networks themselves. So you know, these are neural networks combined with search. But with neural networks themselves, how can you get them to learn more efficiently? So right. we look at these things called activation functions that allow them to learn nonlinear functions. And mm -hmm. what if you learn those activation functions along with their other parameters? What right. happens? And you know, we find that they can um, uh, perform a lot better if you allow them to learn. So, yeah. Excellent. That seems pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Quite into it. It's a it. lot of fun. And, you know, <laughs> oh, yeah, I can imagine that. <laughs> and, and you know, we like collaborate with people in. Uh, human computer education, like Professor Daisy Wu, and yeah. um, education, like um, uh, Professor Hung Tao Tang and Matthew mm -hmm. Irvin, and education at USC, and you know, also people in um, electrical engineering, people in chemical engineering. Um, so it's just so good I get to collaborate with yeah. all these people. This is excellent. Um, have you found it uh, hard working on uh, interdisciplinary work for research um, projects? Uh, not necessarily hard. It's just you have to have patience because people aren't going to immediately get why, you know, you may want what you want. So you may say, you know, for a project involving, you know, um, we have a project involving detecting gamma rays. And so something like this could be used for um, uh, looking at signals from outer space. It could be used for like, say, um, uh, clean energy like nuclear power to make sure the power plants are safe, things like that. And, you know, we, we were saying like, give us this data. Um, but they at first, you know, didn't understand why we wanted like this data. And mm. so, you know, you have to be kind of patient, like this is what we're expecting. This is what we need. And so we need like this data. Um, right. And that's just with pure data stuff. But then there are other people that, you know, you really have to understand what they are doing. For example, with the Rubik's Cube, we're actually um, having students work with the system. You know, we have a prototype and they need very specific things in order for them to say, uh, these are the outcomes that we've actually observed. They need, you know, very specific things and mm. their experiments need to be set up in a um, very specific way. And these mm -hmm. are ways that us in AI, we'd go like, oh, you could do it this way, that way, you know, whatever. But they're like, no, 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 we, we this has to be specific. So, um, you know, just learning about that, uh, it takes, takes patience. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, AI researchers are often criticized of like uh, just rediscovering some math problem and, you know, just reapplying it and not, um, you know, not knowing a certain background and just saying, oh, we discovered this. Um, yeah. is, are there any areas of math that you would think, you know, people would benefit from from studying more, you know, maybe in the field of AI or something like that. Mm -hmm. Well, I will go with numerical analysis. Mm -hmm. I know, yeah, um, computational analysis or numerical analysis. Uh, okay. Yeah, a functional analysis is quite theoretical, but uh, it also quite, I think it helps at quite a high level, I would mm -hmm. say. Um, okay. I personally like differential equation and, uh, partial differential equation you can you can take it to the next and next and next level because it can get really crazy but um uh, when you combine numerical methods with 
um, differential equation, partial differential equation, then you can apply it on heaps of problems. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. I think in reality, anything is changing um, respect to another variable uh, with a, a different rate. And um, that's just um, the way we present a differential equation or partial differential equation. But normally they are very complicated. So when you learn how to um, use numerical methods, um, I think you, you can do a lot. Mm -hmm. that's, okay. that's kind of my way of looking at it. But um, yeah, it's, um, it also depends on type of research you've done already and mm -hmm. things like that. Um, since my postdoc, I got really interested in data analysis and using a kind of statistical model um, to deal with data and I found it quite useful as well. That's something okay. else. Yeah. Okay. Advanced cool. statistical models, I think it's, it's worth, worth it to invest in and actually learn uh, what this you know, statistician use for analyzing their data. You know, I, um, I often will listen to these YouTube lectures if I'm like, you know, doing dishes or, you know, just doing some chores around the house. I have like my you know, wireless headphones and my phone like set up on a little stand and listen to the lecture. So I'll really? keep that in mind for like the next lecture series. I listen to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. It's um, of uh, one of my advisors when I was doing my PhD told me there are different ways of learning uh, stuff in general, or if you want to focus on that sort of statistic because maths is just crazy it has a, it's just you know so many branches of mathematics are there and then people are kind of learning it and if you want to be really good at a particular kind of um, branch of mathematics then you dig it in and dig it in and it's just heaps of stuff to learn but I think um, uh, there's one way of learning it so literally literally throwing yourself at it but um, also mm -hmm. the, a, a kind of practical way of learning that is just going by uh, by problems like this is a problem that i want to solve and i need to understand what sorts of um or what branches of mathematics i need or statistical com computationally kind of what i actually need to kind of put together and learn to be able to solve that problem. I found that, you know, for me, when it's grounded in a real problem that I'm currently working in, I can grasp it a lot faster. When yeah. it's grounded in, you know, some problem like Sally has this many apples and yeah. you know, yeah. rate of change of apples is this and yeah. like do some differential yeah. equation, yeah. you know, like it, I, 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 you know, that doesn't really help me. And then the pure math, it's like, if you have some inherent interest in it, then it's it's pretty fun to learn. If not, then it's yeah. kind of a chore. But yeah. all the time when it's part of my research, I become really interested in it. So, mm. yeah. That's excellent. Yeah, as I said, it's just, it really depends on the way you like to look at it. Most people I've noticed that they like to learn it the way you like it. So, being, mm -hmm. you know, they, they just like to learn and apply stuff that uh, are directly involved in their own uh, problems or their research topic and that makes sense where well, you can you can save heaps of time um i would mm -hmm. say and it's quite you know it's deliberately toward solving your problem i also wanted to ask you about pain points as a mm -hmm. successful researcher i would call you um if you if you if you found something that is quite annoying and 
you would like to talk about it, feel free to. You know, I think with me, I have a hard time with um, being able to like really pull myself away from work. You know, like I'm away from the computer and I'm still thinking about the problem. And, um, you know, I think I've, I really have a hard time like enjoying an afternoon, enjoying a weekend, you know, mm. enjoying a holiday. That's mm. that's really been um, difficult for me. And even though I, I traveled a lot, you know, mm. I've, I've traveled to a good amount of different countries. I've been away mm. for a while and I think I've had a lot of fun. But mm. that's kind of the thing is I would I would you know, go travel for, you know, two weeks, um, go travel for a holiday. Um, a lot of times I just have a lot of fun, but it was like, you know, every evening, every weekend, you know, that is really um, what I need to really improve on. And the thing is, you, it's it's not good, you know, you mm. working like this and not just like health wise, but even solving the problem because you get this tunnel vision. And yeah. only when you sometimes just forcibly get ripped away from this. You have to do this. Oh, what what happened? You know, this pipe broke. Okay, you really like, your attention has to get um, yeah. diverted. Can you, you know, your brain does whatever it does and you come back with a fresh set of eyes and go, oh, of course that's not going to work. But how much longer would you have been working on that had you not been ripped away from work? Yes. So having that ability to like, just turn it off, just, Stop thinking about that. And you know, so I just got back from the eye doctor, right? Right. And he was looking at my eyes and he was like, your eyes are so like focused in, you know, you're looking at the computer all the time. Right. And it was like, he was saying, you're so, what was he saying? It was almost like he was psychoanalyzing me. He was like, you're like so stubborn. You're like, I'm going to solve this problem. I'm not going to go to bed. I'm going to do it. I was like, whoa, I'm just this gonna is giving me insight. <laughs> this is what he was saying. He was like, this is how you are. And I was like, this is insight into like my life. He's he's right. He was like, you got to relax, man. You got to go to a party or something. Like have fun. You got to oh, relax. Really? I was like, man, you need to open up a... a uh, uh, clinical practice in psychology or something, you know? <laughs> but he was like, just from looking at my eyes, he could tell. Like, Are you serious? Not, just by looking you know, at oh, your eyes, he said that, or you just, you know, gave him some information about what type of jobs you have? I, I think he knew I was a computer science professor because I've been there multiple times and we've talked, but right. um, this was just, he was like, you know, flipping through, is this one better, that one better? And he had a bunch of scans of my eyes right. and he was like, you know, they're so, it's like, you know, your muscles are almost like cramps, like they're narrowed in into this range and you're losing wow. the ability to see further because of that. And wow. he, he was just, you know, extended that, that it was just basically describing my relationship to my work. And right. so that that's something that I have such a hard time. I just keep thinking about the problem. I'm going, doing this, you know, go to the movies or whatever. And it's yes. like, you keep thinking about it. And really it takes being ripped away from the problem sometimes yeah. before you really get that good insight yeah so yeah do you also think the researchers in particular are they at risk of mental health because of it oh yeah for sure you know I, I've noticed my mood sometimes is just almost directly related to how uh my research is going in terms of like is the problem I'm working on, will it ever be solved? Um, you know, yeah. if I'm feeling like, no, then I feel down. If I'm, you know, I just got over that hump, then I'm like excited. And, yeah. um, you no, know, I fully get especially that. 
especially in my PhD, I think it, it was a good, you know, because your PhD, you're there for a good amount of time and the whole thing's like getting the PhD. Yeah. So you're more kind of worried about that. Yeah. But, um, you know, but even now it's like, um, if you get too hung up on it and you can't tear yourself away from the problem and it becomes like your identity, yeah. I, I really do think people are in danger of like developing mental health issues for yeah. sure. Yeah, I, I, it's just, uh, um, I don't know how over there people take it seriously, but in Australia, it's just a, a big deal. And, uh, they, mm -hmm. you know, they're working on uh, making awareness and um, child, run their own challenges. And, you know, they, they really, you know, are serious about that. And, and I, I know, mm -hmm. you know, being in this research environment and having heaps of friends and uh, colleagues also, you know, doing research, and they are constantly saying the same thing. Oh, I can't switch off my mm -hmm. brain. And mm -hmm. that's not good over a long time. And, and I think it kind of initially might reward people like that. Like initially, um, you may uh, do well at first, you know, but as you get more specialized and as the problems become more complex, it actually hurts you. You know, maybe yeah. in undergrad, you working like crazy, taking a lot of classes yeah. is fine. I remember in undergrad, you know, um, I would take, a, you know, I was computer engineering. And then um, I uh, was working at one point, three different like part-time jobs. Like I was an office assistant. I was mm -hmm. a resident advisor. I was a tutor. Um, so I, you know, was working all this time. I would sleep. If I got to sleep four hours, I thought, man, this is a, like lucky night, you know, I'm sleeping four or five hours. Oh, wow, look at me. I'm so right. fancy. And, you know, I, I would get um, gray hairs and I had tinnitus really bad one time where like, you right. know, the ringing in my ear wouldn't stop. And, wow. um, but, you know, I, I graduated, you know, magna cum laude. I mm. um, got into a good master's program. Mm. You know, I got to do fun things, but like, there is really like, points in there was like this isn't healthy but you know I okay work through that part but then if you continue that you know especially as you get older but then also you know the problem it's more specific you're working on one thing versus like okay you have five six different classes you can kind of spread that attention out and you kind of do get some type of fresh eyes on each one um, yeah. but as you're focusing in on a certain research topic it just hurts you and yeah. you get this tunnel vision and you can go in the wrong direction for yeah months years um before yeah. you realize that you're looking yeah. at the problem totally wrong no i fully get that i've noticed it myself like when my research is going well like my mood is elevated when it's not yeah. i'm like just you know i don't feel good and i'm just lost in it like i can't yeah. tear myself away from it yeah i know i get it something else that i've noticed when i was doing my phd one day i was quite happy because i saw that things are going well and tomorrow morning i just came back to back to office and I look at my work and I say oh there's a bug there and then so it ruined the whole results and then so therefore everything mm. is wrong then <laughs> mm. it was just constantly like that and I was at the mm. end I think I was thinking that you know what I think I'm losing trust in myself <laughs> because you know one day mm. I think that's right and the other day it just things you know seems to be quite bad you know learning that you know this you know, a few hours from midnight to 4 a.m., you're not gonna, like, you know, I used to think, oh, you know, I just work a little bit more, and then 
boom, I have a Nobel Prize. I've solved everything, you know? <laughs> like you just keep thinking, oh, just a little bit more and like you're a total hero or like just you you will have solved it and all your problems will be gone. But it's like, you have to realize that you got to pace yourself and just be patient and things like that. Yeah, no. Which I'm still learning. It's not like, you know, I'm still working on it, so. No, no, yeah. I do get it. I do get it. Well, eventually I decided to just leave research because I, mm. I felt that it's, damaging my mental health and I wasn't happy mm -hmm. about that and after my postdoc I said I'm not gonna take research as my profession I like mm -hmm. it I like to talk about it I like to read it still but it's just um I don't think I can mentally afford more <laughs> mm -hmm. that was my decision right. anyway yeah all righty so um if you would like to uh, talk about something, uh, we call it a ritual, something that you you would like to repeat every day and you think you got your life got better because of it, it's just something you believe in, um, feel free to share also. Um, well, you know, I, I like to make music, so I play the piano, play oh, the guitar. Mm, um, so like playing every day always helps me. Um, yeah I, I really like just playing and singing to myself before mm -hmm. covid you know um open mics and stuff are always fun but now the, you know things are open back up so i gotta find them here in south carolina i haven't even had the chance to go to one but you know mm -hmm. those things are fun but just like music you know making a new song and just playing on the piano or guitar so it's been been good for me excellent yeah. i like that there any anything else that you would like to share um oh. I don't think so. Uh, yeah, I mean, we talked about a lot, so I, I, don't, I don't think so. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, this, this, is, this is fun. <laughs> but uh, I would like to thank you again um, for joining me uh, to, thank you. to have this episode. And uh, I also like to invite you again back because you're a great speaker and you're quite chilled and happy and <laughs> you just <laughs> take it really easy. <laughs> Sure. sure. Yeah, this is a lot of fun. <laughs>